This week, I want you to turn in your Bibles, and I'm going to do the same, to Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to be in verse 10. I've just entitled this Suit Up, because we got all those S's in there, and you'll see as we walk through this text in a moment. Um, I don't know how many of you, can anyone remember the first S back to verse 1 or 2? Hide and what? Seek. So we're to seek those things that are above, and then there was... There, was, there were two more S's, one positive and one negative. We were to set and what? Set not. Set not. Seek, set, and set not. And then as we, as we went on further into this text, would you believe there were some more S's in there? Um, not only seek, set, and set not, but then we discovered in verse number 5 um, that we were to slay. There were some things that need to be literally put to its definite end. They need to be slain in our life. We call them the filthy five in verse number five. Fornication, we're going to get there in a minute. That, so all those S's. And then there were these others that you're to strip off. So some things need to die. Other things you need to just put off. Some things you need to kill. And some things just need to be thrown away. And that was in verse number eight. So those are the things that we, we uh, strip off. And then today, I want to talk to you about suiting up. So after we stripped off these deeds, these, these, these sins of the mouth and the attitude, how many of you know that those are real this morning? Not that any of you have any trouble with that this week. Um, the sins of the mouth and attitude. Now, but there's some things we need to put on. And he's going to tell us about that um, this week. So let's, let's just get right there in verse number one for context. If you would join me in... Colossians 3, 1, and we'll read down through verse 10. If or since then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are, where church? Above, where Christ is. So where is Christ? He's above, and he's sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on things on the earth. Why? Because you died. You died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is our life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, because this is true, because you died with Christ to your sin, therefore put to death your members which are on the earth. And here they are. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. So those are the things we are to slay, that we are to cut out of our life, that have no business being in the life of a believer. Verse number eight, or verse number seven. No, verse number six. Let's get it right. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience. Verse seven, in which you yourselves, notice this, once walked. What tense is that, church? Yeah. That, that's who you used to be. It's not who you are right now when you lived in them. Verse 8. But now you yourselves are to put off these. So here's what needs to be stripped off. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy. Filthy language out of your mouth. Verse 9. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. 
And that's where we'll stop today. Um, we're going to back up to verse 9. Do not lie to one another. Why? Because you have put off the old man and his deeds. A pastor was preaching this text. And he said, can you imagine if, as God did in Acts with Ananias and Sapphira, when they lied, what happened to them? Yeah. And the pastor stood up and said, can you imagine if God still killed us for lying? Where would I be? And the congregation began to chuckle a little bit. And he said, don't laugh. I'd still be here, but I'd be preaching to an empty church. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. But it's true. So don't lie to each other. Why, why, why should we be honest with each other and up front and, just, and be, uh, be clear and not deceptive to one another? He says it right there. Since you have put off the old man with his deeds. And, and once you've put off the old man with his deeds, you're doing what? You're putting on this new man who's renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. One of my favorite childhood stories, and the, and the cover of this story will come up here on the screen. Anyone remember this story? I remember, now this is going to age me. Some of you are going to remember it. And other kids are going to say, who? I remember the, for the first time hearing this story on a program called Captain Some old people in this room. Everybody under what? 25 Paul, do you know who? Oh, he's not up there. Do you know who Captain Kangaroo is? Okay, so so sad, so sad. Thirty-one years old, but I grew up with the, with the good captain, and I remember he would do these stories like this, and the, and the pictures would come on. Oh, I loved it, and he had this great reading voice. But this was always one of my favorites: Mike Mulligan and his steam shovel. His steam shovel, he named Marianne. And they got contracted. They could, they could make this money if they could, but they had to dig this basement foundation in one day, which was impossible. Well, as the story goes, Marianne and Mike get down in that pit, and they start to digging. And boy, she is just going to beat the band. And a miracle of miracles, by the end of the day, the entire deep foundation for this giant building, I think it's going to be the, uh, uh, the city center. Um, what, am I, what am I saying? Town hall, thank you. I think it was the town hall. She dug the whole thing in one day. The problem was she dug herself into a hole, and there was no way to get Marianne out. And so they decided that they would convert her from a steam shovel to a furnace to heat the town hall. I always loved that story uh, because as I got older, I, I came to understand it in a spiritual sense that Marianne's purpose her intent, her reason for being had been changed. Um, and so have ours. If we're in Christ Jesus, your reason for existing is different. You're no longer here to dig basements. You're here to bring warmth and light using, using this illustration here. Her purpose had changed. And this always reminded me of when, when uh, remember when Peter was bragging it up to Jesus? Jesus, and he said, hey, let me tell you something, Jesus. All these guys might deny you, but not me. I'm ready to go with you to prison and death, Luke 22. And what does Jesus say? Let me tell you something, Peter. Before the rooster crows, what? You're going to deny three times that you even know me. But then this part that nobody pays attention to. This is beautiful. But he says to Peter, he looks him in the eye, and I can't imagine how this conversation went. But he looks at Peter and he says, but Peter, I have prayed, I've prayed for you. And then he makes this statement, and when you are converted, strengthen your brother. 
the unconverted apostle. What did Jesus mean? Jesus, Jesus meant, Peter, when you come to the end of yourself and ultimately put off that old man and put on the new, then you're going to be ready to do something and, and strengthen and encourage your other brothers that you just threw under the camel, <laughs> so to speak. So this whole idea of conversion, of putting something off and putting on something new. These false teachers in Colossae, if you remember, were, were on a quest for something more, something new, something better. Jesus wasn't enough. Jesus and his transformative purposes weren't enough. We needed to add experience and enlightenment through really strange methods to get there. But it's the old, the ends justifies the means. As long as we're better people at the end. But I'm going to tell you what, there's a, such a slick lie in there. And Paul's going to reveal it. You don't need anything more than Jesus. And if you think you do, that thing is an idol. So Paul's going to explain that. But God's quest, God has a quest for sure. And it's to see the character of his son show up in his children. Amen? And our quest should be the same. So in this, in this last part of verse 9 and verse 10, there are three verbs. And these three verbs describe what should be normal Christian character. He said, this is, this is what normal Christian character should look like. The first two, put off and put on, look back to the time of our conversion, our regeneration or salvation or being born again. And the third looks to the present process of renewal. And so Paul uses this strange metaphor of stripping off and suiting up, of putting off clothes and putting on new clothes. Now I want you to listen to this. Paul said, what Paul says here to us is that the old self has been put off and the new self has been put on. And I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. The new man or the new self is pressing towards a very new goal than the one he, the, that the old self had. Think about your, what, before you came to Christ. Life was all about who? Me. Me. We talked about that this morning in our D group a little bit. It's all about me. And sometimes we preach the gospel like it's all about me. It's not about you. Even the gospel is not about you. One of my favorite gifts I got, I want to say for Christmas from my children, my older children, is a shirt. And you might have seen my T-shirt. Um, and it's got a Bible in the middle of it. And it says, the Bible, and underneath it says, is not about you. And it's not. The Bible is not about you. It's about the glory of God. Amen? That's what the Bible is about. So... So today, what I want to do is I want you to join me, and we're going to take a look at the what, the when, the how, and the why of this new man's, this new self's renewal and restoration back into the image of God. So let's quickly, let's get to it. Let's deal with the what, the what. What is the old man, and what is the new man? Sometimes, I, I've learned a hard way, isn't it easier to define something by what it's not than whatever's left helps you to define it by what it is, right? Can I just be honest with you, cut to the chase, and let me tell you what the old man and the new man is not. And you may, you may disagree with me at first, but, but give me a hearing. I'm going to tell you right now, the old man and the new man are not the old and the new nature as so many of us have been taught. 
Did you know that the Bible is nearly silent on the nature, I'm going to use that word, of the new man? Now, it talks about his, his desires, his character, and what he chases after. But it is really fairly silent on this word. It does not describe it as a nature. I want to encourage you today. This is so important. We've got to start to see ourselves as God sees us. You know how God sees us? God sees us as old and new. Old and new. I read this in a commentary. I thought it was so good. And I want to share this quote with you. It says this. To equate the terms old self, new self with natures, old nature, new nature, goes beyond acceptable evidence. The terms are never used psychologically at all. And when you, and I'm going to put a pause in there. When you hear it described as the old nature, the new, and old, old nature is why we still sin, as psychologically. And, and he says here, the, the terms are never used psychologically at all. Listen to this. They are historical in nature. This is about history. The old self and the new self are never described as coexisting in anyone. One replaced the other. And he finishes out and says this, Finally, the old self is never a proper description of a believer. A believer is a totally new person. End quote. 2 Corinthians 5.17 If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation or a new creature. That means new of a whole different kind. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Right? You're, so so here's, here's the reality. You're either old or you're new. So I, I put it this way, and you can jot this down maybe. Um, B.C., before Christ, that's your old self. Before you came to Christ and before Christ came to you, that's the old self. A.C. is after Christ, and that's the new self, and that's the end of the story. The Bible never describes it as your nature. That's a really an unfortunate translation. And I appreciate a lot of, 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 the, of the, the different translations out there. But when they translate that, that word for actually flesh in the Greek as sarks, as nature, it's a very poor choice of words. Because words have meaning. So this is not a nature. It's just the old you and the new you. And again, Scripture, New Testament, describes that in a sense of history, not psychology. He says, that's who you were, this is who you are. Here's the next thing. Three major scriptures that talk about the old you and the new you. And they're Ephesians 4, 20 to 24, Colossians 3, 9 to 11, which we're in now, and Romans 6, 6. So let me share with you Ephesians 4, 20 to 24. Listen to this. Paul, interesting enough, Paul writes all of these. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have learned him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. And now he's going to explain. Here's the truth in Jesus. Here's what you should look like. Um, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man. And that word there, that you have put off. In other words, that's something that's already done. That you put off uh, concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. And be renewed... In the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created, notice that's past tense, according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. We've read our text in Colossians, but he's, it, the last half of 9 says that you've put off the old man and his deeds, and you've put on the new man, the Bible says in Colossians. 
who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. So we put off and put on, old and new. In a historical sense, that's who you were. And a new man, after, after our rescue from the old man, is new. That's who you are now. Past and what, church? Present. That's what he's explaining here. And then probably one of my favorites is Romans 6.6. 6. He says this, knowing this. And whenever Paul said knowing this, is something he expected them to have a firm grasp upon. Knowing this, that our, who, who? The old man, who you what? Were. The old man was, was, past tense, crucified with Christ, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Right? So, real quick, the word old, literally, the Greek word that they use here, is the word for um, old in years, or specifically here, belonging to the past. That you who lived sinfully before Christ belongs to the past. But the word new has two different words for new in the Greek. The one in Colossians 3.10 is neos, um, and that means new in time. New in time. And then the one in um, Ephesians, konios, is new in quality. That's a new kind. New in time and a new kind of new, a new quality of person. So let me, let me deal with this. The second point in here is the when. When did all this take place? The time element, first of all. Romans 6, 6, when was the old self crucified? What does it say? Yeah, knowing this, that our old man was crucified in Christ. Um, it's at the time of our conversion, our regeneration, our rescue. When we were placed into Jesus Christ. That was the time. When, when we came to faith in Jesus Christ. And it's interesting, the word that's used here has an ending on it. <clears throat> in, in This verb has an ending on it that, that says this was a once for all thing that happened. It happened at one specific point in time. So whenever God gave you the gift of faith and repentance and you turned away from yourself, once for all... You were crucified with Christ, and the old man was put on the cross, and, and the old person is no more. But you weren't left in a grave. You were crucified, buried, and then what? Resurrected with Christ as a, say it with me, new man or new self. You're this new person. Even Paul in Colossians 3.9 says you put off the old self. In all three passages, both the old and the new self stand alone. The old uh, has to go so that the new can appear. You see, you can't have them both at the same time. And since the scripture replaces the old, they don't exist. They don't coexist together. God did not leave you as a two-headed monster with an old nature and a new nature. The old is who you were. The new is what? Who you are. You say, well, what about sin? Then why do I sin? I'm going to get into that in a minute here more, but let me just say right now that sin is not a result of a mostly dead old man. Shameless nod to the Princess Bride. Some of you will get that. <laughs> One of the best movies ever. Yeah, just mostly dead. No, it doesn't refer to a mostly dead old man or old self. It's the result of the imperfect process of growth in the new self. 
And there is something called indwelling sin, which is not a nature. It's a foreign invader because our flesh literally belongs to this earth that's under the curse. And one day it'll all be made new. Let's look at the time of the change. Romans 6, 6. This is interesting. Um, but it's, it's really at our baptism slash identification into Christ. Now, in Ro most of the places when we're talking doctrinal and it talks about being baptized into Christ, there's no water involved in those texts whatsoever. There's no water in Romans. That's literally when God takes you, your spirit back in time, crucifies you with Christ, puts you in the, in the tomb with Christ, and, and immediately raises you up to new life in Christ. That's called baptism because it's our identification. God literally places us in Christ. That, did you know that's what baptism means, to place into? He, and that's why when someone gets baptized, we place them what? Into the water after the death of Christ. And we raise them up after the resurrection of Christ to walk in newness. We, we reenact physically what has happened what? Spiritually in that person's life. Um, so the time of this change is at our conversion, our regeneration, and our rescue. And, and, the, and the verses in Colossians and Ephesians, they suggest the same thing. So the job of the believer is to stop living according to the dead you and grow in the character of the new you. There's, there's not an old you and a new you. There's just a new you. And the reality is, uh, when we understand that, um, we can come to a lot of truth here. One of the biggest things that this did for me as a young man, when I came to, when God showed this to me and it started to come clearer and clearer in my mind, is I realized I didn't have any excuse for sinning. I didn't have any excuse. I used to blame that on, the, on my old nature. No, there is no old nature. There's an old man and he's what? Dead. Dead. And there's a new man and he's what? Alive. Alive. And I just need to stop, stop living my life according to a dead man. And start living my life according to a living man, a, a, a resurrected in Christ, in relationship with God man. So in Colossians, Paul has them look back at their conversion. And to see the change that has already occurred. Look at Colossians 3.10. It's exactly what he says. He says right there, And you have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. We put on this new man. And, and he's looking back. He says, you already did this. This is what happened to you. And when that happened to you, massive change occurred in their thinking, in the way you went about your life. And by the way, I want to put a parenthesis here and say this. Can you do that? Can you look back at a time when you put off through the, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the old man, the old you? And now you started thinking differently. And because you think differently, you behave differently. Because I'm going to tell you something. If there's no difference in your life, then there's, no, there's been no deliverance in your life. If you are no different after Christ than you were before, you've never been to Christ. You don't know Him. And one day you will stand before this judge of the universe and He will say what? Depart from me, I what? Never, here's the word, knew you. We had no relationship. You might have mouthed a few words and gotten wet in the lake, but we did not know each other. I did not know you. No difference, no deliverance. So these people in Colossae, they were in the process of growing into the new self. All right? 
I think that's the next screen there, Sam. There we go, the how. It's the, uh, it's the process of this growth. And notice the word that's used there. It's this word renewed in verse number 10. This new man is renewed in knowledge. Renewed. What is re when I say renew, what do you think of? What comes to your mind? Returning something to its original form. What else? What is that? Restored. Regenerated, Emma. Bringing a book back to the library. Yeah, oh, that's true. You renew it. Not that we've ever done that ten times. The same book. <laughs> yeah, you renew the book. You renew your borrowing of that book, right? You make it new again. You start over again. That's exactly right. And this word renew here is found all over the scriptures. And in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Um, I think this will come up there. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, Paul says, uh, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, I mean set apart from sin, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service or your reasonable worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How does we get transformed? Look at this. Look at it. By the what, church? Renewing of your mind. Emma, just like you go back to the library and renew that book, your mind, your understanding, your thinking needs to be constantly renewed, not by a library book, but by the holy book, a letter from God to us. The truth about who I am in this new person in Christ. And renewing of your mind that you prove what is a good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. 2 Corinthians, jot this down, 4.16. 2 Corinthians 4.16 will come up there. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though the outward man is what? Perishing. Perishing. How many of you know we're getting older? Yeah. But as that outward man is perishing, what's happening to the inward man? He is being renewed day by day. We are renewed by God's holy word. And by a ruthlessly applying God's holy word to our life. The purpose of this renewal, this is interesting, you see it in verse 10. The whole purpose of this renewal is the recovery of the image of the creator in the created. Because that's what he says in verse number 10. He said that we would renew, uh, we, that we would be renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Listen to this. Here's a crazy thought. What was lost in the fall is gained through the application of grace. You ever thought about that? What was lost in the fall when Adam fell and we got his spiritual DNA, what he lost, what did Adam have as in relation to God? Fellas, like unhindered, cool of the day, man. God and Adam had, had coffee together. At least I hope that's what they had because I love coffee. But, you know, they would walk together in the garden to cool it and just talk about the day. They had unhindered fellowship. And boy, man, when Adam sinned, Woo! He didn't just lose fellowship. He died. He lost the ability to have a relationship with God. In our core being, our spirit, at the deepest level of a man, our spirit, who we truly are, was designed for one reason and one reason only, and that is to communicate with and love and have fellowship with the one who made you. 
And sin has ruined that in Adam. He lost it. But oh, listen to this. What, what Adam lost in the fall is gained through grace. Through grace. And what's that process called? It's called renewal. That means people corrupted by Adam can gain what Adam lost for himself and his offspring. Isn't that good news today? I came across this. I thought it was good. I said, we were formed in God's image and deformed from that image by sin. Isn't that true? But through Jesus Christ, I am transformed back into, into God's image as I am reformed by his word. So let me say that again. We were formed in God's image originally and deformed from that image by sin. But through Jesus Christ, I'm transformed back into God's image as I am reformed by His Word. Can I ask you, can I just put a pause button here to ask you, are you being reformed by God's Word? And are you being transformed back into the image of God? I don't know. I mean, I think that's what the Scripture is saying is normal for you and I. This is the normal experience of a believer. So that's the How? What's the why? What's the goal of this whole thing? What is the goal of this growth? And you can simply write this down in that outline. It's not on the screen, but it's in the, it's in the text. Because if you look right there in verse number 10, you put on a new man who is renewed in what, church? Knowledge. Where's that knowledge come from? According to the image of him who created him. It's knowledge. Knowledge of what? Knowledge of the one who created you. Amen. The knowledge of God. This knowledge, Paul uses this word epigenosis. Now, this was their word. The, 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 the early Gnostics loved this word knowledge because their knowledge was, you ready for this? Special knowledge. And only they had the keys to this special knowledge. And so you had to do what they said and, and go through these ceremonies and have these mystical experiences and even communicate with angels, basically, fallen angels, in order to go through these steps and get this flashes of enlightenment. Does this sound crazy to you? It's the New Age movement. New Age movement is nothing but Gnosticism repackaged. It's even crept into the church. You've got to have these experiences. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. Because Jesus isn't enough. You've got to have all this extra stuff, too. And Paul... Paul takes their word, gnosis, for knowledge, and he adds a prefix to it, epi, which means it's super. So he's kind of really, he is really giving it back to them. He's feeding their word back to them. Oh, he say, oh, they have knowledge? Well, guess what you have? Super knowledge. <laughs> Your knowledge is way better than theirs. Because why? Because it comes by renewing your mind on the word of God. And the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts going in and it cuts coming out. Amen? And it cuts the sin out of your life. And, you have the, and, you'll, and it clears the path for the image of God to be restored in you. It's super knowledge. And guess what? You don't have to go through these heretics. You don't have to listen to these false teachers. You don't have to jump through these hoops. All you got to do is learn to live and love like Jesus and enjoy His presence in your life. And it's a process of renewal. And it's progressive 
it's not instantaneous. It takes time. How many of you are patient by nature? All right. Maybe I should ask your children or your spouse, are you patient by nature? Uh, we're not patient people. But this is a progressive, not an instantaneous knowledge and renewal. But oh, I want to tell you, the more the Word of God gets in you, the more it becomes a part of your thinking, and the more you change and become like her. That's how you get to know. You get to know God through His Word. That's why we can't overstress the memorization of God's Word, the meditating on God's Word, the mulling over of God's Word. Because through His Word, we find Him, and He transforms us back into His image. Philippians 3.10, Paul says this, that I may what? Know Him. Everybody says, oh, I want to know Him, the power of His resurrection. Oh, but what's that second part? Nobody signs up for the fellowship of His sufferings, do they? <laughs> it's too hard! You know, we all want to know God until it costs us something. Hmm? And then here's what we do. So I'm just, can I be honest in church today? Here's what we do. We come up on a hard decision and say, man, that, that's going to really cost me. And, 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 you know, and I'm going to tell you how I know this already. Okay? I know this because I've done it. So I'm not telling on any of you. I'm telling on me. So we come on this hard thing and we say, boy, that's going to cost me something. And so here's what we do. You, you probably know where I'm going. We say, well, I'm going to do it anyway because God will... Forgive me. That's the most dangerous thing a person can ever think, much less act on. Because God's grace is meant for you to, be, to triumph in it. To be victorious over stupid sin like that. And what do we do? We use God's grace to trample it. And to trample God's word. And that sin, hey, guess what? Even if as a believer, your sin still separates you from your God. Yes. You, live with a, you live with a quenched and grieved Holy Spirit. You hear nothing from God and God leaves you to your own devices. Knowledge is produced as you walk in the will of God. You're walking in the will of God today. Here's a topic of discussion for the ride home from church today. And if you're like me, we live close, so you better get right to it. <laughs> Some of you, the Duncans and Jay and Wes, share, uh, Anna, you got a long drive, so you can, you can get into it. But here's the thing. Ask yourselves this question. And, and, and how about you get a little bit bold with each other? Hey, fellas, why don't you ask your wife, honey, where do you see me not walking in the will of God in my life? Anybody bold enough to ask that? Hey, children, young adults living at home still, or not living at home, still under your parents' authority. Ask your, ask your mom, Mom, where do you see me not living according to the will of God in my life? Are there any areas in my life that you see that I'm, I'm not walking in the will of God? We bold enough to ask that question? 
Are we scared of the answer? I was at a men's retreat recently, and uh, they did a really good job. I've never been to one quite like this because it had so much application time. Like the application time was as long as the teaching. I've never seen that before. So I said, go out in the woods and ask God these three questions. Right? And so you would, and it's amazing. Wonderful time with the Lord. But one of the things, one of the questions was, what would your wife say? What kind of man would your wife say that you are? And so I said, well, I, I would love to answer that for her because I already have my answer picked out. <laughs> but I said, I, I, I suspect that she might not agree with me. So I texted her and I said, I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to guess what kind of man you think I am, but I don't want to guess what kind of a man am I. And I said, and be honest with me. You know what the first thing she said? A little selfish. You're a little selfish. And then there were some glowing things in there that I totally agree with. That was hanging up on that first part. <laughs> I said, like, well, the rest of it, you're spot on, baby. But that first part we'll talk about when I get home. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and actually it made me, I was alone. It made me laugh right out loud because I was like, okay, she's being straight with me. She's being straight with me. You're a little selfish. Right? Can we be honest with you? Where are we walking in the will of God? Some of you already know where you're blowing it. And I want to urge you today, if you are put your faith in Jesus, repentant of your sin, listen, stop living like a dead man. That's who you used to be. You're in Christ now. You live differently. And yes, it costs. Make those hard choices. Because you're being transformed by this knowledge. You're being renewed. And, you're, and God is making you look more and more like Him. And that's His ultimate goal. Amen. We've been married. We're coming up on 33 years in June. I'm telling you what. When we first got married, I thought I knew everything about everything. Right? And I was just, and this way it should be. I was just happy to be married. It, it was just all good. And I thought I knew her. And she thought she knew me. But I guarantee you, 33 years later, we have a very different understanding of each other. So much so that she could text me back and be 100% correct and brutal. <laughs> right? How do you get there? 33 years together. I mean, she will literally finish my thoughts. And what's super scary is sometimes I'll be trying to th think of how to word something and what to say, and I, or I can't get the name. She says this, like, oh, my word, she's in my head. What else are you looking at in there? <laughs> you know? She knows me, and I know her. Over 33 years, it's progressive. That's why when you lose a spouse, like so many of our ladies in the church have. That's a, such a big deal. Because literally a piece of you is gone. One flesh. It's like you're half a person. But oh, I, I got good news for you widows out there and widowers. He will never leave you or forsake you. He's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And it's this intimate knowledge that renews our mind and makes us look more like Jesus. I'll close with this and a question. The stories told of a, 
an old Indian man, <clears throat> very elderly man that lived way up the mountain. And he was famous for his ability um, to make these carvings of wildlife. Specifically, he was most well known for his carving of wolves. And a reporter was just had gotten his hands on one of these carvings and it was so lifelike and realistic that he decided that he had to interview this old Indian man that lived up on the mountain. And so he <clears throat> hiked all the way up there and finally made it to this man's little hut where he lived and asked if he could speak with him and the man granted him an interview. And he said, I really just have one question. How is it that you make, take a block of wood? And he had a bunch of blocks of wood there, pieces of log. He said, how do you take that and turn it into this? <clears throat> I, how, do you, how do you do that? And he says, it's, it, you know, old, old Indian was a little bit puzzled. And he said, well, it's easy. It's easy. And the young reporter says, how can it be easy? He goes, oh, it is. He said, I just cut away everything that doesn't look like a wolf. I want to tell you something. God is in the process of cutting away everything in you that doesn't look just like his son. And he's a master carver. Amen. And you and I would do well to cooperate. I want to ask you something. This, this restored image of God. We get back what Adam lost. Experiencing that? What would your home be like this week? If we were renewed in this knowledge of God? And, and like the image... Like, we could go back to Eden this week. What would your class... By the way, congratulations on Teacher of the Year at your school. I was so proud of you. I was so proud of you when I saw that. Amen. Give, what would your classroom be like if you walked in there with the renewed image of Eden? You were literally Jesus walking in Jody's flesh. How would that class be different? How would your... Guys, how would your work be different? How would your homes be different? Young people, how would you approach your responsibilities at home and school differently? How would, how would things be different if the image of God was completely renewed, just like that library book, Emma? Just renewed in you and showed back up and it was yours again. And you look more like Jesus than Emma. What things would you have to cut out of your life this week for that to be a reality? What things would you have to purposely take off and replace them with things that look like Jesus? You know what they are. You know exactly what they are. And I want to urge you to act on that. Because you're either old or you're new. But you are you. The question is, are you the old you or the new you? And the new you looks like Jesus. And we need to cooperate and be renewed in that knowledge. Amen? Father, we love you today. Thank you for the truth of your word. I pray that you would burn it on our hearts. I thank you that there is a new man. A new us. A new self. And that it was put on once for all. The very moment that you granted to us the gift of faith and repentance. And that it was even granted before the foundation of the world, as we read in Ephesians 1, was always your plan. 
sin was never your plan. You do not intend us to live according to the dictates of a dead person, but so many times we do. We desperately need to be renewed in knowledge so that your image can be super clear and we have this super knowledge of you that changes our small worlds and eventually the world at large. Would you burn the truth of this in our hearts to give us a thirst for you this week? We would love you and chase after you with all that we are. In Christ's name, amen. Courtney's going to come, and we're going to sing a song in a minute. Before we do, I want to have just kind of a time of silence that you search your heart. And, and I've told you this before, but I, I feel I've got to say it every time. That this table is for people who are walking in truth and living an authentic life before the Lord. And your record's clear. And there's times that I've tapped my children on the shoulder and said, unless you can find some, some repentance before communion, don't take it today. Because I live with you and I know, I know where you're not. And you don't need to disrespect this table because God takes this super serious. So you got two choices, child of God. Repent now. And truly repent. Walk away from it. And pay the price, whatever it costs. Make it right. And walk out of here and hope. And celebrate. Or stay where you are and ask God to grant you the courage to do the hard things. So you let the Lord search your heart. As they sing a song for us, you examine your own heart and let the Lord speak to you. And then you come and get your elements and hold them. And then when we're done singing, we'll take them together. Oh, to see the dawn of the darkest day. Christ on the road to Calvary. Sinful men torn and beaten, then nailed to the cross of wood. Is the path of the cross Christ became?
every evil deed, crowning your blood stained brow is the predominantly in the New Testament referring to the present we are called saints holy ones this had to happen first so as we eat remember that's who you were that's the old you because of the body of Jesus there's a new you may we eat and remember 
sin is expensive. And it's way more expensive than I believe our minds can even tabulate or comprehend. And the way we know that is what it costs for God to say, I'm okay with you. It costs the very lifeblood, not just a, the lifeblood of His precious, perfect, holy Son. The fact that He'd be willing to do that absolutely blows my mind. But He was. He did that so that we could be forgiven. That the sin debt could be wiped out. As Jesus died, the, His blood literally covers our sin. And listen to this. Puts him out of the view of God. God looks at Christ as though he committed every sin ever. And he looks at you and I as though we've never committed any. God's not fooled. He's just. Jesus paid the debt. May we drink and remember. Would you stand and join me? One of my favorite communion songs. Um, David brought to this church and it's simply called All Glory Be to Christ. Would you sing this with me? Then I'll pray, bless the food, and we'll meet next door.
our King. All glory be to Christ. His rule and reign will ever sing. All glory be to Christ. Father God, we thank you that uh, we get to live. We don't have to live for that glory. We get to live for that glory, that fame of you. I thank you that you never asked us to, to do that with an old man. But it requires a new man who's renewed in the knowledge of you and reformed into the image of you. I thank you that what Adam lost, we gained through Christ. And God, help us to believe that and act on it. Even today, have those hard discussions on the way home. Be willing to pay the price because no price is greater than what has been paid for the redemption of our soul. Convince us of this. And even as we break bread in a moment and enjoy fellowship around your table, may you bless it. May you be pleased with it. And may we enjoy that feast together. Looking forward to the day that we would do it with Christ our King and glory. In Christ's name, amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow.